You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? I mean, with the time change and everything, I feel like it's practically lunchtime right now. Like, I'm, my stomach was rumbling while I was sitting in the chair, and I was like, why am I hungry? Oh, yeah, because it's like 12. This time change always gets me, like... I have two young kids at home, and so for most, for most of the people in the world, it's like, this is great. We get an extra hour of sleep, and for young parents, it's always like, yeah, we get an extra, a normal day where then chaos happens for the next week. So I am fully supportive of the, getting rid of the time change. I know some people are not, but I would like to get rid of the fallback whatever thing. Some people are applauding now. Yeah. When, when you have young children... You're, you have a very interesting week after the fallback because they're going to bed. Instead of like my kids' bedtime is 7.30, it's 8.30. And uh, they, kids are cranky when they're tired. I don't know if you knew that. Kids do that. When they get tired, they get very cranky. And um, usually I can give them food to, to remedy that. But that, that late at night, that's not the right option. It's usually sleep. So, but I can't do that or else then they're going to bed too early. Anyways, do you have those thoughts with Ryan this morning? I'm hungry and I'm going to go home and have lunch. So uh, not pie though. Uh, and I can't guarantee you that at the worship night, since it's in the youth center, that, that upcoming youth, uh, young families worship night, that pie won't be put in people's faces. It's a youth center. We do crazy things with pies all the time. Um, and so I'm blessed, though, to get to be uh, the next-gen pastor here at the church. I love getting work with our young adults, our middle school, high school students, and partnering with our kids' ministry at this church is so much fun. Uh, it's a great job. And your students are awesome. For those of you guys who have students or maybe your grandkids are students, uh, there are some amazing students in this church that we have that we get to love. So um, today, though, we are going to be diving into John chapter 8, the rest of the churches as well. So kids ministry, youth ministry is doing the same chapter of John that we are this morning here uh, as what we call the big people church uh, and youth ministry. And so if you got a Bible, please go ahead and open up now to John chapter 8. We're going to go pretty much most of the way through it. Uh, and if you want to follow along with some sermon notes or some interactive stuff we have, you can scan the QR code we have on the screens with your cell phone. Just open up your camera. Uh, and you can follow along with some of the sermon notes we have for this morning as well. Or if you want to take notes, we encourage you to take notes. Excuse me. But we've been going through the book of John. We, 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 the whole year we spent the, the New Testament earlier. And now we're really going into transferring from the gospel story in the Old Testament to the gospel story according to Jesus' gospel story according to the book of John. And uh, it's been really good to get to go through this book across the whole church. Our students are loving it. I get to love my son coming home and talking about, about some of the cool stuff that Jesus had, does in the book of John. Like a couple weeks back, he was like, Dad, did you know, like Jesus fed like a ton of people? And I was like, yeah, I, I did know that. But tell me how it happened. And he's like, well, he had some bread and some fish, and then he just made a bunch more. And I was like, this is why, this is why I love church. This is why I love like having kids too. Like our, my son is so excited to talk about some of the things that Jesus has done and getting to hear it from a five-year-old is always more exciting. No offense. I w I'd have him come in here and teach, but it'd be very scattered. Um, so we're not going to do that. But this morning in John chapter 8, we're going to be reading and discussing Jesus's identity. And the last, counting last week and this week as we're really going into who Jesus is, Ron really set this up really well last week when he went through John 7 and he approaches Jerusalem, and he comes into the city, and he speaks to the crowds of people at that feast and that celebration. And he says, um, I am the living water. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and drink, and you will never thirst 
again. And Jesus was really trying to set up with the crowd and the people, like, I come to me. This is the access to the Father is right here. Come if you're thirsty and drink. And as you know, the conversations, if you were here last week or maybe you heard about this, the conversations he has with that crowd of people gets really confusing and people are like, you don't look like, like what we thought you should look like. Um, you're saying a lot of things about yourself that doesn't seem to fit with what we've been told you were going to be and how sometimes the world can come in or our expectations can come in and confuse us or things can come in and just confuse us about who God is and what his purpose for our life is, what he wants us to do. And so today we're going to really rectify that in John 8 where we talk about Jesus giving us his identity. Um, I love John 8 because it's probably one of the most clear depictions we get where Jesus says who he is. And Jesus is really good uh, about answering people's questions with more questions. Or when people come to Jesus with it for advice and he goes, well, here, well, here, let me tell you this really confusing story that won't make sense. Jesus in John 8 doesn't do that. He instead really comes out and he lets the people know who he is. And so we're going to be reading that this morning. And we have a few points that I want to I wanna make this morning if you'll let me. So um, before we get into the word, though, I do want to say Ron and Ned are praying for you. They are thinking about us here at home there as they are gone in Albania. They are ministering to pastors there as well and giving them a time of rest. And they are just, uh, they've, they've said things are going great, but they wanted you to know as well that they are praying for you here and that they love you and they can't wait to come back and share some of these really awesome stories about what's going on on the other side of the world where they're ministering to other leaders as well. Um, so we're going to read John 8, 12 through 16, and also a few others. So would you follow along with me as we read that really quick? Um, it says this, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And the Pharisees challenged him, saying, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. And so Jesus did not come to testify on his own behalf, but on behalf of his Father. And the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are coming at Jesus. Jesus making, is making statements about himself saying, I'm the light of the world. If you come to me and you walk with me, you won't walk in darkness. And they're saying, you can't talk about, you can't be your own witness. And Jesus is saying, I'm not being my own witness. I'm being the witness to my Father in heaven. He's not acting on his own witness, but his Father's. And so how often do we, though, church, act as God's witnesses and that light when we are challenged? How often, I, this is, I'm, I'm hitting you from the beginning and from the get-go. How often do we respond when challenged about that light we have in us or when we're walking in the light and, we, and, it's, and someone comes against us saying, how can you do this? What, what power do you have to do this or live this way? How often do we say, it's not us? Sorry. It's not us. It is the Lord within me. And John 8, 19 says, it says, then they asked him, where is your father? To which then they ask him another question a few verses later in, in verse 25. And we're going to read a, uh, finish a section here. It says this, who are you? Then they asked. So they're asking who Jesus' father is and who he is. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own. But speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. 
He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in Jesus. Many believed him. And so Jesus, as he's testifying on behalf of God, like think of a courtroom almost, and he's on the witness stand, and people are questioning him, asking him, hey, who are you? Who is this father? Where do you come from? Jesus is saying, like, I am not here to testify about myself. I'm here to talk only about my father who put the light in me that where, where I can say I am the light of the world. It's only because my father has given that to me. And I only do what he's asked me to do. And he goes on to say even when the son of man is lifted up, then you will know that I come from the father. And I love this. And so we're going to talk about Jesus' identity today in three uh, points that we're going to tackle. And so the first would be this, is that Jesus knows his identity. He knows who he is. And, and when he said these words, when he made these statements, he knew who he was and he knew what he was saying. Um, chapter 8 is where we begin to see Jesus become far less cryptic about who he is than he has previously been. Like, we kind of say goodbye momentarily to cryptic, mysterious Jesus. And we say hello to, like, Jesus practically spelling it out and writing it on a whiteboard like, I am the guy for them. And then he goes back to cryptic Jesus later. But this chapter is where Jesus says, I'm, that's it. I'm going to let them know. I got to tell them. He's, he, it's where we see that he really does say things that he is the Messiah that point to him being the Messiah. And that he is God's son in ways that the Jewish people would have understand. And we can understand too if we know where to look and we know how to grasp the context of his words. So he does this because he knew who he was. He knows who he is. Do you, church, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? And I have this bottle up here um, that's full of a random substance. Uh, substance makes it sound dangerous. Full of a random thing, liquid. Uh, and I think sometimes we view our identity as something like this, where God says, I know what that is. But we're like, no, 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 I know what it is. This is something that I know what it is. But honestly, there's no way for me or for any of us in this room to know truly what this is because there's no label, there's no instructions, there's nothing saying this is the purpose for that, this is what you use that for, or even this is what that's called. And sometimes I think we try to identify things, or I, I'm going to say identify ourselves without opening up the one thing that will tell us exactly who we are, exactly what our value is, exactly what our purpose is, we don't open up the book that will tell us those things. We try and identify those things for ourselves instead of going to the one person who created us who knows all of those things full and well. And so I could guess at what I should use this for. I mean, it's a bottle. I could throw it at something. It could be used for throwing. I don't know. It's kind of like a good, I could throw this pretty far. I could spray it, but I don't know what's going to come out of it. Is it good for me? Is it bad for me? Or is it good for... You know, the carpet, is it good for the window? Is it good for the walls? Is it good for my face? No, I don't know. But you know who does know? The person who made it. The person who took stuff, put it in the, made the bottle, took stuff, put it in the bottle, and made it for a purpose and gave it a name and an identity. They know what this is used for. Why would I try and guess or why would I try and name this or guess this identity? I could just go to the person who made it and say, what is this? What is its value? What is its purpose? And the person was like, it's Windex, okay? 
use it to clean windows. It's very good at it. Pretty, pretty much nothing else cleans windows like Windex does. Um, so they're paying me today, by the way, to say that. But how, church, how often do we go to look inwardly or maybe we go to the world and ask who we are? What is our purpose? What is our, what is our identity? What is our value? That's a dangerous one. What is our value is a dangerous question to ask the world and not ask God for. <clears throat> Jesus knows his identity, and Jesus is asked who his father is in verse 19, who he is in verse 25. People wanted to know who he was. And this statement is still true today. The world is still trying to figure out who Jesus is, and the world is still trying to figure out about Jesus' father and who he is. The questions that people were asking about Jesus a couple thousand years ago, church, are the same questions the world is still asking about Jesus. Who's your father? Who are you? Where, do you? where do you actually come from? All the same issues and questions Jesus, and I'm going to say the early church, faced when talking about faith is the same issues we are facing today. And the one question we are still, the world is still trying to answer is, who is Jesus? Thankfully, I'm going to say this, thankfully the answers are all still the same. And the answers to the questions people have about Jesus are found in the instruction manual God gave us. The answers to who we are, that, to who Jesus is and who we are, are all found in God's word. And church, I want to, why do we turn to other avenues to define that for us when it's clearly defined by the person who created us already? God has given us our identity as his children. It's clear to say, we sing, we literally sang a song about it this morning. He has given us our value, not the world, but God has given us our value. Not, you know, and when we look at our appearance or we look at, you know, maybe our wealth or the things that we have or our talents that we're, things we're good at, you know, do we let the world define those things for us or do we let the God who gave us those things define that for us? Because if we put our value in what the world des uh, defines as value, those will fade. Those will go away. If you make investments with the wealth God has given you and things of the world, that will eventually go away. But if you use your wealth that God gave you to invest in his kingdom, those investments will never fade away. If you make your identity in Jesus and not in the world, that your worldly identity will fade away at one point. Whether you lose reputation or you lose status or something, if your identity is in all of that here in the world, that will eventually go away. But if your identity is in Jesus and your identity is in who God has called you to be, that identity lives on forever. That's an eternal investment. And God has given us our purpose to bring glory to his name, not our own. And that's a glory, again, that lasts forever. We glorify ourselves here on earth. That's a glory that will fade. But all the glory we give to God here on earth lasts forever. And the second thing this morning would be this, church. So if Jesus knows his identity, the second thing he does in eight, John chapter 8 is that he states his identity. Finally. Like, I get excited when I read John 8, and I, it's, a very, it's a very long chapter. It's like 50 plus verses. It's one of those chapters you read, and you get it like as you're daily reading sometimes, and you're like, here we go, 50 verses, okay. Why couldn't it have been like the book of Philemon where it's like 20 verses and it's short? But in John 8, we see Jesus finally states this. And there are many significant statements Jesus makes throughout the book of John. Um, and some of these are called the I am statements of Jesus. He makes all throughout the whole book. 
Uh, we've actually seen two of them already, and I'm gonna, I want to say them for you. It's one's in John uh, chapter 6, verse 35, where he says, I am the bread of life. And the other one appears in John 8, 12, which we just read this morning, where he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus makes seven declarations about who he is in statements like this, where he says, I am something. You know, um, we're going to get into those later in the book of John because they're later. But we, right now we have, I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world. But here in this chapter is where we see an I am statement from Jesus that stands above the rest, that is not like the other seven, that is set apart. And I think for a very specific purpose. We see here in John 8 that the, the context behind the importance and the power behind this verse um, isn't in John 8, it's actually in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, where we see Moses who has fled Egypt, you know, as one of the people in Pharaoh's household, high status, again, his, his identity and his status was here on, on earth, and then he loses all of it because of a rash decision he makes when he sees a fellow Hebrew being beaten by a slaver. He's, he steps in, he says, this isn't right, and he, he attacks the slaver and unfortunately kills him, and so for fear of his life, he flees into the wilderness to become a shepherd, thinking that's what his life is now meant for and his purpose for his life. But God gives him an identity, gives him a value, gives him a purpose that he gives him that then repurposes his life for an eternal impact. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, we see God telling Moses to go to my people in Egypt and go to Pharaoh and say, hey, it's the famous sign, like, let my people go. You know, God's asking you to let his people go. But this happens before he goes, and this Moses naturally is a little hesitant, like, hey, I'm not so sure that I'm the guy or that this is something that you really want me to do this, God. Have you ever asked him that question? But this is what happens. This is a conversation that Moses and God have. It says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, your people, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent you. Okay, so he's still not like sold on going yet. Uh, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Moses is asking God, what should I tell your people your name is? Who should I say is sending me to them to free them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is the name, that is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is the name you shall call me from generation to generation. The name God gives to Moses to tell the people and then teach to their children for generations to come is that I am, the, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The I am, the, the great I am has sent you. He said, tell them this is my name and that this is the name they should call me by and that this is the name their children should call me by, their children's children, and every genera generation after should, should call me I am. You guys seeing a pattern here? Jesus, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world here. We see that later in the book of John, God, Jesus calls himself I am in line with this, the same terminology to reference to himself of who he is and who God was. So in John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59, this is a little bit of a long one, but follow along with me. It says this, it says, The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And I want to point out that, like, literally not that much 
like far back in John chapter 8, it said that many had chosen to believe in him. Many believed in him. But now just a, f- a little while later, after some stuff had been come out, had come out, Jesus had said some stuff, he'd come against some false narratives that had been told about who he was supposed to be. The people are like, that's it. You don't look like what we want you to look like. Like you're probably a Samaritan, which was an insult back in the day, uh, and demon-possessed, which also another insult. I am not demon-possessed, I'm not possessed by demons, said Jesus, but I honor my, my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, the crowd exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. And this is the crowd. This isn't the religious leaders who've been plotting to kill him all along. This is the crowd of people who are just on his side. It says, now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And I want to pause for a second and just think about, like, I really hope I never get to an argument with God where I'm saying to God, who do you think you are? Because I feel like that's not a good place to be arguing from when you're talking to God. Who do you think you are, God? Like, I'm God. The creator of everything, the one who thought of you before you were born. That's who I am. And I, I think like, you know, they didn't know in the moment, but to, to think about saying to God, who do you think you are? You know, have you ever said that to someone in this world who obviously was not God, but like, who do you think you are? How do you, why do you think you can talk to me that way? It's such a disrespectful approach to a conversation. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim is your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. Oh, fighting words, Jesus. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it and was glad. And then the crowd responded, you are not yet 50 years old. They said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipped away from the temple grounds, and left. And this is the this is the great transition we have in John 8 where we see people believing in him. And we see people trusting him. People want to say, hey, maybe this guy is. He's saying he's the lie of the world. That sounds pretty awesome. But then he makes a statement that he says, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. And they couldn't accept that. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't comprehend how God would come in the flesh among them who has been there from the very beginning, and look like Jesus. Like Ron said last week, they were confused. The statement would have told the people, when he made that I am statement, would have told the people who are present to hear it that Jesus was making the statement that he was God in the flesh. And that he is the Messiah, God's son, the promised savior, the redeemer of God's people that they had been waiting for for a long time was finally here. The I am statement was the name God told his people to know him by. And Jesus then uses that name to identify himself and give him the identity that they were asking him for. 
this wasn't even, it's, it's not even like it was unprovoked. It's not like Jesus said, I am. And they're like, what? Where did that come from? They said, who are you? And he says, I am. And then he took that identity, which he knew he had, which he had stated he was, and he fulfills it. Right? What does it look like for you to state your identity and then fulfill it, church? What does it look like for you to know who you are in Christ, to be able to state it out loud and then, and then live it? This is the last thing this morning, is that Jesus, he knows his identity, he states it clearly, and then uh, he fulfills his identity. Uh, like the analogy from earlier, Jesus knew to go to his Father in heaven for his identity, who he was. Jesus knew he was, his identity was clear, and his purpose for living was also clear. He brought glory to God by giving his life as a ransom for many. Kind of spoiler alert there for how the book of John ends and Jesus' story ends, you know. Um, if you don't know, read the book of John. It's really good. But he was to come and be lifted up. And Jesus even says in the, in the gospels, greater love has no one than this, than to give their life, lay down their life for their friends. And Jesus knew who he was. He stated who he was. And then he went on to fulfill that. And he didn't just say the sentence like, hey, guys, you want to know what the greatest form of love is? I'm going to tell you. It's great. You got to lay down your life for the people you love, for your friends. The people you care about, you're willing to give up everything you are, your entire life for them. And then he went on and he actually did that. He didn't just say things. He didn't just know who he was and say it. He was actually willing to go on and do it. And we saw in the verses 27 through 30 of John 8 where Jesus has the moment where he knew God was going to, what he knew what God was going to ask him to do. And he needed to be, that he needed to be lifted up for the benefit of all. And this actually comes from the book of Numbers, again, back in the Old Testament, where we see the story of God's people not being faithful, God's people not trusting him, and, and basically denouncing him. And then God's like, okay, well, let the snakes come on in, I guess. And this is kind of a weird story. But then the snakes infiltrate the Hebrews' camp, and they begin biting everyone. And the people come back to God, and this is their response after learning that they have turned their backs on God, and God then said, okay, and they come back to him, and it says in Numbers 21, 7 through 9, the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that uh, he will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, he put it on a pole, and then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. And this is actually where we get the, pick the, the symbol in the back of ambulances, where you see a snake on a pole. Have you ever seen that? That's biblical. Jesus said, just as, actually, in earlier in John chapter 3, which we've already, been, we've already talked through, John, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And the analogy he's making here, he's, he's saying, just as that sn snake was on that pole, was lifted it up, and the people who saw it lived, so if you see me lifted up, so if you see the thing that I'm doing, and you believe in me, you will live. Jesus said earlier, like, hey, if you come to me, you're not going to taste death. And they, the Jewish people couldn't understand that what, what he was saying or what he meant when he said that, but he's offering us a life that does not end here. He's offering us an eternity and a value that lasts forever, an identity that lasts forever, and a purpose that lasts forever that this world cannot sustain. 
And by looking at him and the fact that he was lifted up for us was the sign. Jesus said, I want you to know this sign. Just as in the wilderness, the snake was lifted up, so I have to be lifted up for you to see and believe. Jesus knew what he was here to do. His identity was defined by God and his plan. And so how often do we allow our identity to be defined by our, our own plans or our own goals, our own aspirations? How often do we let our own thoughts about who we should be, what our purpose is, where our value should be, get in the way of what God's trying to do in our life? How often are we making decisions based off our own thoughts and not the direction from God? If we want to know who we are, we must ask the person who designed us. That can either be, I'm going to say like this, like if, depending on how people believe, that can either be a pool of cells millions of years ago, or it can be a loving father who, before we were born, looked at us and said, I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with that. If someone were to ask you today, or maybe tomorrow at work, who are you? What would your response be? How would you respond to that question if someone said, who are you? Where do you come from? By stating he needed to be lifted up, Jesus was telling people that he was God's Messiah, not just in the form they were expecting him to be, but what he was supposed to be. See, Jesus stated it pretty clearly in multiple verses about who he was and what he was supposed to do. And at the end of John chapter 8, it's like, you guys still aren't getting it yet. I'm just going to say it. I am. I am this guy. You are asking me if you, if I am. Like when in John chapter 7, last week when Ron was teaching about, they said, who is this guy? Is he a prophet? Oh, no, he's just a teacher. Or could this guy be the Messiah? Would anyone else fit the bill of this Messiah better than this guy, Jesus? And people were confused and they didn't know. And Jesus says, finally, okay, you've been asking me who I am. I'll say it. I am. I am. And when he made that statement, the people couldn't accept it. And they decided to pick up some rocks to try and throw them at his, his precious face. Luckily, he slipped away because it wasn't his time. But what do, what do we take from this? The questions I would like to ask this morning is, do, do you know your identity? Have you taken the time to know God, open up this book and know him, and then the, the flip side of that is to be known for him? This is something we actually just finished teaching our students through. All of October, we were talking about the word known and what it meant to know God, be known by God. And then the last kicker, the one of the questions that even I'm, I'm saying, sometimes we as adults still struggle with, but our students in this next generation is really struggling with, is are they willing to be known for God? And all the weight and all the assumptions that come with being known for God. And that's the question I have for us this morning. Church, are we willing to be known for him? Is our name and what we go by, our identity, are we willing to be to have that which we put out for the world to know also be known and synonymous and like in correlation with being known for God, being known for his son Jesus? When people think of you, when people look at you and they say, who are you? Do they, all, do they see that you are also known for a name and who you are? Or do, and do they also see that you are known for God? Do you know God and are you known for him? Do we state that identity in Christ? Do, are we, are, we are called to speak up when our identity is challenged. That's part of being known for him. One of the things that the next generation is really struggling with right now is who they are. 
more so than ever, the generation following us right now that's coming up, that's going to be leading our world in the next 10 years is saying, who are we? Like, why are we here? What is the purpose for all this? They're asking that question so heavily right now. And thankfully, there's a lot of information out there, but thankfully also the church is here. God's word is here as an answer for them for who they are, what their value is, what their purpose is. Because there's a lot of things in the world that are trying to define the next generation as who they are, what they look like, who they should be. But it's our job to make sure everyone in this world knows that we are children of God, that our, our identity is in him and our purpose is to glorify him. And we put our value and our lives in that. And do we fulfill that identity that God has given us to do that, to glorify God? What do we do on Monday through Saturday that fulfills our identity? Not just here on Sunday mornings as we worship and as we come together to, to sing, which I usually sing a little bit softer because my voice isn't the best, but do we sing and we praise God and we thank him for how good he is on Sunday? And then on Monday, what does that look like? How do we translate Sunday into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Saturday? And how do we fulfill that identity that God's given us throughout our week? And think, I mean, thankfully, I, I, I can kind of figure that out for myself, but I'm, I won't always, we won't always have the answers for each individual because God looked at you and said, I have a purpose and a plan and an identity for you that's unique to you, and I want to use you to do some mighty things if you're willing to let my unique plan for you play out. And church, this is where you get to be involved in the story of God's redemption. This is where you get to be involved in the story that God's telling still right now. The story, yeah, the ending's written, but there's still a few things in the middle that God is trying to work out, and you are a part of that, and how you let him work in you and how you let him guide you is your part in the story as well. And there's not, it's not over until it's over. There's still things to do. There's still life to be lived for each and every one of us, and if I even think through the lens of the next generation. How are we pouring into them? How are we showing them where their true identity is? And it's not in things like TikTok or whatever else is current today. It's in the person who has been for around for forever. It's in our Savior. It's in God. It's in Jesus. What do we do through Monday through Saturday that fulfills our identity in Jesus? That's the question you, we all get to go home and say, what does tomorrow look like for me Jesus knew his identity. He was, able, he was willing to state it and put a name to it, even if it meant people would disagree with him and try and kill him for it. And then he went on to fulfill it, knowing he was going to die. He went and fulfilled it. What do we do to know our identity, to state it and live it out and fulfill it throughout the week? Church, this is how I, wanna, I would like to pray that over us. I would like to pray for you and encourage you. I don't want this to be a message you're like, oh, what do I do? There's answers in here. Open up, open up God's word this week. Crack it open. Ask, see what God says about you. See what God, how God wants to encourage you. And see how God is making a plan for your life, even still today, and how he's going to use you. And you'll do okay. Would you join me in praying this morning? Lord, we seek you. Lord, we, we know that when we seek you, we find you, Lord. We know that when we come to you, we have the answers, Lord, that you, you are faithful to give us responses. Lord, that you have been faithful time and time again. If we look at your word and if we, if we know we need answers, we can turn to you. Lord, so I pray that uh, we would be a people, Lord, and we would be a movement and a church that turns to you. We don't turn to the world. We don't turn to ourselves or what we think of ourselves or how we would want to define ourselves or what the world might say to us. Lord, we only rely on what your word says about us, who we are, how we, the purpose we have, the value we have to give to make an eternal impact, Lord.
I pray that, um, Lord, as people struggle to define themselves and who they are or where they come from, Lord, I pray that you would instill in their hearts a love for you, that they would instill in their hearts a very firm foundation in who they, we all are in you. Lord God, and that as a church, we could be an example of a movement and of a people that put you first, that glorify you and live that out as best as we can, Lord. Holy Spirit, empower us to do the works that you've given us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.